You're listening to audio from the Regenerate Podcast, a ministry of River City Church in Lewiston, Idaho. For more information about Regenerate, visit rivercitychurch.us. And off we go. All right, so tonight we are going to be in the book of Judges. So everybody, let's turn to the book of Judges, chapter 3. Chapter 3. And as we get there, I want to start off with... um, with a little bit of a preface here. So um, this, there's not going to be any like, slides behind me that's gonna, that I'm going to have these nice, cool points for you. Uh, so you have to actually like, listen and take notes, and I apologize because I failed to create a good slideshow. But anyway, um, just a little preface here. So when we read the Old Testament, especially when you read books like Judges, you're going to run into a lot of bloodshed and a lot of things that seem morally or ethically problematic. So then the question becomes, okay, well, how do you read these things, right? Because I know, I'm sure that we've all heard, maybe you've heard some Pentecostal preacher going, uh, nothing against being Pentecostal, but uh, just, you maybe you've heard preachers go, this, this is God, uh, this is how you achieve victory in your life. And they give you like, all these principal points about just like this, out, so this, the Old Testament becomes this massive allegory for your life. That's a very American way to look at the Old Testament, but honestly, we are way too individualistic with the way we look at the Bible. So what we're doing here is a couple things. Number one, context is everything. So a little preface here. Um, When you are reading a warfare narrative, context is everything. And you have to remember that in Genesis 12, God promised the people of Israel through their, he promised their ancestor Abraham, I'm going to bless the entire world through your offspring, right? That's very, very important. This is God's story. And sometimes, this is going to shock you guys, but sometimes... God, in his perfection, has to work in an imperfect world, utilizing imperfect means to accomplish a perfect will. And some of those imperfect means, most of those imperfect means are human beings. He has to use people to accomplish his will for people. Isn't that nuts? So God has to do that. So God is in the middle of fulfilling his promise. And remember, he is preparing his people. In fact, in earlier in this chapter, we aren't going to read all chapter 3, but in verse 4 of chapter 3, He says, it says that God sent, this is nuts. It says that God actually sent enemies to overtake the Israelites so they could learn to fight. So they could learn to stand up for themselves because they had to protect the inheritance that God had given to them. I'm already preaching to somebody. Somebody that he's talking about, he's talking about he had to prepare the people of Israel to fight for their inheritance. Because the inheritance was not going to come easy and it was going to require obedience to God. Even in difficult and circumstances filled with war. So context is everything. The second point to remember with, with reading warfare narratives. Warfare in the New Testament is still going on. It's spiritual. It does not mean it's allegorical. Okay? So in Ephesians 6, Paul says we should put on the armor of God, right? And he uses that as a word picture to describe our spiritual life. But it's not just an allegory for the Christian faith because the Bible also talks about other spiritual beings besides God who hate you, legit hate you, and want to derail and ruin your life. The accuser is what he's called. Satan, Satan, the, the devil. There is an enemy of God who is out there. He's nothing as he's not as powerful as God. He's, he cannot create like God is. He is a created being with a beginning and an end. And God is the only one who is infinite and is in absolute control. But nonetheless, there are real spiritual entities. We call these fallen angels or demons who were removed from God's presence. And because of that, they hate anybody who gets to be in God's presence. So if you're with Jesus, guess who they hate? Ding, you. And they already tried to kill Jesus once. It didn't work out so hot. 
So now they're going to try to go after what God loves most, which is his kids. So remember that warfare, there is a sort of analogous relationship between the Old Testament. So when we look at how God worked with people in the Old Testament, we can also see how God works with people who are in relationship with him in the new. And a lot of that happens in the spiritual realm. We good? Okay. Okay. Before, so today, um, we're going to be preaching out of uh, chapter 3. We're going to look at verses 12 through 30. And we're going to learn about Ehud. Everybody say Ehud. Ehud. So you read that and said Ehud the first time you read it, right? You're like, you're like Ehud, right? Ehud. No, it's Ehud. Ehud is his name. And he is one of the first judges of Israel. He's the first one that gets like a lengthy story. And uh, it is intense. It is really good. Before we get into that, though, we're going to be... Has anybody ever ordered from Amazon? Okay, okay. Maybe I shouldn't say Amazon and record this and put it on... Oh, like bleep it out when we put it on the podcast so that way I don't have to pay dues or anything. Um, anyway, if, you ever, if you've ever shopped online, Lord knows, during the COVID-19 pandemic, laziness went to a new level. Because now, theoretically, you never have to leave your house for anything. Because now you can stream church in your house. You can get medicine delivered to your house. You can get food delivered to your house. You theoretically could just never leave your house again. And all the introverts were like, yes, this is a dream, right? COVID-19 is a dream come true. But um, uh, have you ever had something delivered to you, though, that was the wrong thing? Or broken. That's even worse. Yes, Sandra, had that happen. So I remember when I was at LCSC, I used to order my books online because that's cheaper. Just throwing that out there. You like, I'm not, I'm not knocking the school because we are a club of LCSC, and obviously I stand by the school. Go Warriors! But um, <laughs> there is cheaper ways to get your books. So I, so I um, signed up for a class. It was an English class, and so I ordered some books online. But then I realized the format of the class when I signed up for it. This is back in the day when we used to do things in real life, okay? Not everything was digital. And, and I saw that the class was online, and I was like, ooh, I do not do online classes. I'm not going to do that. So I, so I deleted that So I deleted that from my transcript and stuff, and I, I dropped the class in the first week. But the book still came in, right? And I remember one of the books was Brave New World by Aldous Huxley. Um, I don't know if you've ever read that one. It's a great classic of dystopian literature. It's horrifying. It's wonderful. Uh, you can, <laughs> it's... It's a, it's a book about the end of society, and, and anyway. So I'm reading this story, or so I got this book, and I was like, ah, forget about it, I'm not taking this class. So I, I got rid of the, I, at least I thought I got rid of the book. Years later, though, when I was done with school, and I no longer had to read anything, somebody go, yes, Lord, waiting for that day when I don't have to read. <laughs> when I didn't have to read anything, and I could actually just read for fun, that's a novel concept, I was like, Man, what should I read? And I was just looking for good books to read, and then I found it. Hey, Brave No World by Aldous Huxley. Now at the time when I got the package, when it was delivered to me, I did not, have, I did not value the delivery that came to me. I did not value the object that came to me until a time later on when I realized that, that the purpose of that object was actually not so that I could use it for homework because my assumption was I was going to read this in order to study it and use it to get a good grade. But actually, the whole purpose of this book was actually so that I could enjoy it later on. Sometimes God's going to bring something into your life where you don't understand the deliverance until later on you see the purpose for which it was brought into your life. Once again, guys, that regenerated. If somebody's preaching, you got to shout. You go, girl! Yeah, okay, there we go. <laughs> that was with gusto. Very good. So... Let's read this story and let's learn a little bit about 
the things that God brings into our lives. So this is from Judges chapter 3, verses 12 through 30. It says, uh, it says this, And the people of Israel again did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, and the Lord strengthened Eglon, the king of Moab, against Israel, because they had done what was evil in the sight of the Lord. He gathered to himself the Ammonites and the Amalekites and went and defeated Israel. And they took possession of the city of Palms. And the people of Israel served Eglon, the king of Moab, 18 years. Then the people of Israel cried out to the Lord. And the Lord raised up for them a deliverer, Ehud, the son of Gera, the Benjaminite, a left-handed man. The people of Israel sent tribute by him to Eglon, the king of Moab. And Ehud made for himself a sword with two edges, a cubit in length. And he bound it on his right thigh under his clothes. And he presented the tribute to Eglon, king of Moab. Now Eglon was a very fat man. And when Ehud had finished presenting the tribute, he sent away the people who carried the tribute. But he himself turned back at the idols near Gilgal and said, I have a secret message for you, O king. And he commanded, Silence! And all his attendants went out from his presence. And Ehud came to him as he was sitting alone in his cool roof chamber. And he, Ehud said, I have a message from God for you. And he rose from his seat. And Ehud reached with his left hand, took the sword from his right thigh, and thrust it into his belly. And the hilt also went in after the blade, and the fat closed over the blade, for he did not pull the sword out of his belly, and the dung came out. Then Ehud went out onto the porch and closed the doors of the roof chamber behind him and locked him and locked them. When he had gone, the servants came, and when they saw that the doors of the roof chamber were locked, they thought, surely he is relieving himself in the closet of the cool chamber. And they waited until they were embarrassed. But when he still did not open the doors of the roof chamber, they took the key and opened them, and there lay their Lord dead on the floor. Ehud escaped while they delayed, and he passed beyond the idols and escaped to Sirah. When he arrived, he, he sounded the trumpet in the hill country of Ephraim. Then the people of Israel went down to him from the hill country, and he was their leader. And he said to them, follow after me, for the Lord has given your enemies, the Moabites, into your hand. So they went down after him and seized the fords of the Jordan against the Moabites and did not allow anyone to pass over. And they killed at that time about 10,000 of the Moabites, all strong, able-bodied men. Not a man escaped. So Moab was subdued that day under the hand of Israel, and the land had rest for 80 years. This is God's word. The name of my sermon tonight is Special Delivery. Let's pray. God, we're thankful for this word. What a story. What an intense story. Jesus, we pray that you would teach us through this about the nature of deliverance. What does it mean and how does deliverance come to us? Many times we don't understand what it is that you're trying to do in, uh, in our lives, God. What you're trying to do with the church as a whole. What you're trying to do with us as a group, God. We, we don't quite understand it, but Lord, we just say tonight that we trust you. So we submit to you and say, teach us your ways, O God. And we pray these things in the name of Jesus. Lord, let my words be your words. Let the words of my, of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O God, our rock and our redeemer, and everybody who trusts in Jesus said, Amen. 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 Deliverance. Special delivery. This is one of the most Hollywood stories in all of the Bible. If you've never read this story and you just read it now and you're like, oh! Like, how many of you guys did that the first time? You, if you read this chapter before, how many of you went, oh! When you like... Pulls out the sword and goes, gets him, and then like fat closes over it, and you're like, that's disgusting. And then like he's and he's laying dead there, and he's like, you know, and then he like jumps out the window and like parkours out of there and stuff. You're like, this is hardcore. You know, it's I mean it's cool. I mean it's pretty cool. Ahud's story is pretty cool, I'm not gonna lie. Like 
It's made for the big screen. And, uh, but it's, it's really, and it's really cool because everything about it's like so like secret agent, you know, just like ding, 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 ding. And then he's like, what's your name? Abel Santiago. That's it. You know, uh, <laughs> do, you, do you have a number or is, uh, do you have like 007? No. Um, so, but what's interesting about this story is this is a story about God delivering his people, right? And I think a lot of times when we think about God delivering us, I think a lot of us have something in our lives that we feel has been harassing us. Right? In these first few verses, we will learn that Eglon, the king of Moab, has been harassing the Israelites. He has overtaken them, and they served him for 18 years. That means some of y'all, if you were born with king, the king of... Some of y'all like, might have just been born with the king of Eglon when Eglon took over the kingdom, and you still were at your entire life, would have spent your entire life underneath of his rule. And you never would have known what it was like to have a free Israel. Isn't that nuts? Your entire life under the leadership of, local, of, a, of, a, of a Gentile king who doesn't follow God, who promotes idolatry, who destroys all the Jewish ways of life, all of your traditions are gone, all those kinds of things. Like, he is destroying your people. And you're sitting there going, who? And, and your parents and your grandparents are going, who's going to deliver us? Didn't God promise us? Didn't he say he was going to bless the world through us? Didn't he promise to give us this land? And yet here we are. Now, of course... One of the things we have to recognize is that the writer of Judges is very intentional. He's like, there's a very big reason why this happened. And it's not an unusual reason. And this is my first point. Sin is not unusual. Sin is not unusual. It says in verse 12, right there in the very beginning, the people of Israel again did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. And the Lord strengthened Eglon, the king of Moab, against Israel because they had done what was evil in the sight of the Lord. So they had been doing what is evil again. Somebody say again. Again, this implies that this has happened before. And if you read earlier chapter 3, the story of Othniel, you know that it has happened before. In fact, when I read chapters 1 and 2 uh, during our first week together, during our uh, first time together on, in this book, you know that this is a common thing. It happens over and over and over. Sin is not an unusual occurrence. See, the language of verse 12 is almost a mirror of what happens in verse 7 regarding the state of Israel when Othniel shows up. And this pattern repeats throughout Judges. So what's interesting about sin is like sin against God and the sin. What is the sin that, that they are that they are uh, living in? It's idolatry. So idolatry is when you replace God with something lesser than God. And very simply, a lot of the uh, some of the old school reformers like Martin Luther and John Calvin talk about how idolatry is the basic, most essential sin that there is. Does anybody has anybody memorized the Ten Commandments from the Old Testament? Uh, maybe. Maybe not. You're like, ah, that's Old Testament stuff. I only memorize Philippians. You know, uh, makes me feel good. Uh, so the Ten Commandments, the first one is you shall have no other gods before me. He says, I am the Lord your God. You shall have no other gods before me. He's like, let's get one thing straight here. I'm God. Me. I am God. Don't quote me on that. That makes it sound like Sam made to say that. Uh, <laughs> but he's saying that. God says that in the, in the Ten Commandments. Why does he say that? Because he knew that if the Israelites tried to displace him with something less than him, it would destroy them. It would utterly destroy them. And he needed to preserve a people who were faithful to him so he could fulfill his promise, right? So he's like, you cannot do this. And that still applies to our lives today. What is the idolatry you deal with? Because I guarantee it's not unusual. Like most of us don't wake up in the morning and just go, oh my gosh, I killed someone last night. Like it was, you know, like, I don't know, it just came out of nowhere. Like, most of us are dealing with the same thing that we were dealing with last week, that we were dealing with last month. 
that your, that your parents dealt with, that your grandparents dealt with, some of those same issues are getting repeated in your life. And you're going, why is there this cycle going on? How can I break out of it? And, the, and what's even crazier is that God is the one who sent Eglon to them. God in his sovereignty may actually send something negative your way in order to bring you to a place of repentance. I don't know if he's going to say amen to that, but God is sometimes going to sovereignly bring something into your life in order to push you to a place of repentance where you go, I've had enough. I am sick and tired of being sick and tired, and I'm going to lift up my eyes to the hills. From whence comes my help? My help comes from the Lord, the creator of heaven and earth. I'm going to look to him because I'm tired of looking to all the other things. And I'm tired of looking to the, the management of my problems. I need deliverance. So here comes deliverance. And I love where it comes from. Because here's the, here's the first point about deliverance itself. Deliverance is often unusual. It's unusual. Look at verses 13 through 16. And where it first describes Ehud, it says that people cry out to God, right? He gathered to himself the Ammonites and the Amalekites. Sorry, this is Eglon. He, and he, so he makes some allies and he conquers the people of Israel. But then in verse 15, it says, Then the people of Israel cried out to the Lord, and the Lord raised up for them a deliverer. You're like, yes, sweet. Who is he? Ehud, the son of Gera, the Benjaminite, a left-handed man. Somebody say left-handed. Left-handed man. Now, this is really interesting. Because in the Hebrew, now, some of you, now when, I first, when I read this, when I read this in the Hebrew, I was like, oh my gosh, that, is, that preaches right there. Because, and y'all, you can't even catch it in the English. Because it says... It doesn't say that he is uh, left-handed. It says that he is iter, that is bound up in the right hand. So this man, uh, it, what, basically what it means, it's an idiom. It's an expre- a Hebrew expression, which means that you're left-handed. You're, you're weak in the, so you're weak in the right hand, which means that you, your left hand dominates. Now, that's kind of un- we know this is unusual for a couple of reasons. First of all, the Bible mentions it explicitly. Very few times does the Bible ever mention left-handed people. So we know that that's a rarity. Um, number two, though, the, uh, and also it's the other thing about it is his name is weak in the right hand. You know what tribe he comes from? A tribe of Benjamin. What does Benjamin mean? Ben means, means son. Yamin is my right hand, son of my right hand. So this man is the most unlikely of heroes because he's a left-handed man coming from the son of Jacob's right hand. And he is the one who God is going to raise up. Sometimes the deliverance that comes to your life looks really unusual. And you didn't, because it doesn't have the right name. It doesn't have the right form about it. It's not the right kind of person. It's not the right kind of person to help you out of your loneliness. It's not the right kind of person to, it's not the right timing. It's not the right, it doesn't appear right. But sometimes God will bring, use it, will bring the right thing out of the right hand. The right hand of God may be exercised through a left-handed person. You know what I'm saying? So right here, he says, it's, this is, it's really interesting. I think it's brilliant how the writer did that. It con- there's this perfect contrast between those two things in the Hebrew. And he's also, it also may be that he was looked down upon by outsiders. Now, this isn't as, as big of a deal, but like, uh, there was, a, there was a, uh, an historian, I.C. McManus. He did a study which indicate, uh, that kind of tracked stigmatic treatment of left-handed people. Uh, like how to, when, you know, uh, there was a time in, in, in history when left-handed people were punished for being left-handed, right? Um, and this was really, really started in the 1800s during the Industrial Revolution. And a lot of the reason for that is because some of the, some people believe it's because there was a lot of machinery and industrial equipment that was being built for right-handed people. 
So if you're going to have a job, you can't be left-handed. You have to be right-handed. And so kids would, you know, kids would get smacked with, the, on, with a ruler for writing left-handed in school, things like that. So they were stigmatized for their left-handedness. And uh, so there's something about a, that Ehud, now not, he didn't live during the Industrial Revolution, so, but it's weird enough that the Bible mentions it. Strange enough. Maybe even looked down upon enough. And so Ehud is this guy who has an unusual, uh, who has an unusual skill set. And he's coming from an unusual place. And it's, but, then, uh, but it's also, what's interesting is that what, he, what other people may have saw as some, seen as something unusual was actually a gift for him because it enabled him to conceal a weapon. Do you notice that? He put, it says he made a sword for himself about a cubit in length. A cubit is about the length from my elbow to the tip of my fingers, like that. Okay? So a short sword. It says he straps it to his right thigh, right here. And evidently, it offered secret concealment, and uh, because of that, it, he was able to sneak into the king's presence. And I don't know if they patted him down for weapons. Maybe they only patted down the left thigh, because typically you would reach with your right hand to your left thigh to grab your weapon. But his is on the right thigh, so they didn't even bother to check. Sucks to suck, I guess, because those guys should have checked. <laughs> but he, so he's a left-handed man. And also, what's interesting, here's the other thing that's unusual about it. He is the first judge to not confront an army, but a person. So Othniel, we read about him, he confronted an army, but he actually is the first to confront not just an army, but a king. So Othniel delivered them from the Mesopotamians. We read that in verses 1 through 11. And Shamgar killed 600 Philistines with an ox goad in verse 31. Um, but Ehud is the one who confronted a king. He went straight to the source of authority and took it out so that God's people could be freed from underneath that authority. He knew that the army would be leaderless. He knew that the nation itself would topple if he, if he went from the top down. So he just secret agented, it, secret agented it right into the king's presence and took him out. So deliverance is unusual. Secondly, deliverance is often subtle, very subtle. You'll notice that Ehud, when he goes into the king's presence, right, in verses 17 through 25, this, that's where the whole thing begins to play out. And we notice that a couple things. One, he kills Ehud alone. Alone. There's nobody else around, right? So he, like, he delivers tribute because every year the Israelites have to bring tribute. They have to bring some of their riches to the king and give it to him. This is just part of the system of oppression. You give him your best. You say, sayonara to my best. So all the stuff that I made, whatever, we have to give tribute. So he brings the tribute. And essentially he probably bows down before the king and he's on his way out and he's like... Or, and, and, it's, and, and it's unclear it's unclear in the text like if this was his plan it, maybe there was too many people in the room and that's why he had to turn around at the last minute um, but at that point he turns around and goes I actually have a secret message for you O king and the king's like close the doors and then he's like you know and then the doors close he's like leave and he tells the attendants leave us so they leave and then he's like and then <laughs> I like the, the the line here is so Hollywood it almost seems fake where it's just like where he's like I got a message from God for you Shinga! you know like and then it's just like dude are you for real yeah he, it totally is right he escapes behind closed doors right so the deliverance that he accomplishes is not leading a huge army into battle at least not initially it is taking out the system of authority that has kept the people of God oppressed. And it is through the destruction of that system that they are then able to achieve victory over their oppressors. What's interesting about the Christian life is a lot of it, a lot of it is very subtle and done behind closed doors. Matthew 6.1, Jesus said, 
that he says, beware of practicing your righteousness in front of other people in order to be seen by them, for then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Much of the Christian life, I hate to tell you guys this now, is the stuff that, is, that nobody sees. It's the times when you're praying in the shower because that's the only time you get by yourself to just, like, to, to just cry out to God and like, let the tears flow and nobody cares. It's the, it's the times when, when you have to give when you don't feel like giving any more money. When you, when you feel like you don't have any time or anything to, to offer, but you decide to make a sacrifice so that somebody else can benefit, so that the church can benefit. It's, it's those things of, it's those, inner, those acts of inner faithfulness that count in the eyes of God. And so he kills Eglon in secret. But what's interesting about this is deliverance can sometimes be unusual. And sometimes it can be subtle, right? You're in a season of loneliness. Nobody, uh, nobody likes me. Well, first of all, we have to remember that, like, <laughs> that we get ourselves, a lot of times we get ourselves in these situations. Who's responsible, first of all, who's responsible for the Israelites, um, for the Israelites being conquered by, by, the, by this king, by Eglon? The Israelites. Like they are the ones who provoke God to anger. And so God knows, God gets to the point where he goes, the only way they're going to listen to me is if I send an oppressor to them to push them down enough to where the pressure squeezes them. They go, okay, I give up. I need to give up my idolatry now. I'm ready now. See, this is the interesting thing is a lot of times I think we think that deliverance has to be this miraculous thing. It has to be this big flashy thing. Oh, God, I'm so alone. Could you just make, make a spouse appear for me out of thin air? You know, and it's like, well, maybe you should, like, go on a date. You know what I mean? It's like, I'm so alone. I don't have any friends. Well, actually, you just don't. No, you don't have no friends. It's like you don't have social skills. Like, and you never, they never had that class in high school, and I get it. But you need to. So you're going to have to figure that out, right? Oh, God, I feel. Why am I so poor? Because you spent your money at the casino, you know? It's. Why am I, you know, a lot of times we ask why, 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 when that's the wrong question to ask. The question should be, what do you want me to do now? Not why am I suffering this, but rather in the middle of this suffering, even while Eglon is ruling over us, even when we are in a position where we've been conquered and oppressed for 18 years, what do you want us to do? See, Ehud was a guy who decided to take action. He was a guy who went, you know what? I'm sick and tired of being sick and tired. And what's interesting, it says God raised him up, right? But he's not a leader. It doesn't mention him being a leader until later. It does not say he's a leader until verse 27. He's the guy who stands up and he goes, I've had enough. I'm going to stand up to this enemy and I'm going to take him out. Does he have a plan after that? I don't know. (laughs) But because what it seems like, just from the outside, what it seems like is he's like, I'm going to do this. I'm going to risk my life. I'm going to put my life on the line. And they're patting him down as he's going to the palace. And he's just hoping, oh, God, please don't let them pat my right thigh because that's where the sword is. No, you're good to go. And he's like, thank you. And, you know, and then sneaks in. And then he's thinking to himself. And then he brings a tribute. And he's like, and, and the king's like, he's unusually sweaty today. You know, but he's just like, there is the tribute, oh, king. And then like, there's that moment where he's like, this is it. I'm going to do it. I've got to do it. If I don't do it, this is never going to change. I have a message for you, O king. Leave us. Goes in, and then he does it. And, uh, it, and it's incredible, too, because it just happens, quick, it happens quickly. Just one stab, and then ew, right? Because, yeah, the fat closes in with the blade, which is really gross. But he's just like, and then he just hightails it out of there. 
And then it says he runs out into the hill country. Look at this. Verse 28, uh, verse 26, rather. He escaped while they delayed because the servants are out there. That's pretty comical, right? The servants are out there waiting for like a while. And they're like, should we not come to And the guy's like, no, no. He's probably like taking a deuce or something. Like, we should just leave him alone. Like, he's, he's taking a long time before, you know, he's got problems. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So they wait a little longer and then they're like, Okay, he's been in there like a really long time. We should, we should check on him. Yeah, for sure. Oh, my God! You know, they find him. They're like, oh, there's blood everywhere. And there's poop. And this, it's just awful. You know, and so then, and now, but by that time, he's long gone. And it says he goes up into the hill country, and he sounds the trumpet in the hill country of Ephraim. Then the people of Israel went down to him from the hill country, and he was their leader. And he said to them, follow after me, for the Lord has given your enemies, the Moabites, into your hand. Deliverance brings encouragement. Deliverance brings encouragement because suddenly he did something. Whoa! He's the only one out of any one of us who actually decided to do something. He had the guts to go into the king's presence and murder him. And now he's like, God, and, and what's interesting is that Ehud saw this happen, right? He did it, right? This left handed dude saw it happen, and what he saw was not, he didn't go there and go, I have killed the king, follow me. He says, No, the Lord has delivered. The Moabites are enemies into our hands. How do you know? Because I pulled off something that nobody should have been able to pull off. I did it, you guys. That means God is with us. Now is the time. Now is the time. Sound the trumpet. Get everyone from all these villages. Let's form a brigade. Let's form an army. Let's go down right now. If we go down there right now, we'll be able to stop them and annihilate them at the fords of the Jordan, and they won't even be able to get back to Moab. But we have to do it now. And then they're like, yes! And they fall him down into the hill country. And there's a huge battle. 10,000 Moabites are slain. And they're set free for 80 years. Bless God. What a story. But what's amazing is that he saw in that moment, this is not me triumphing. This is God's triumph. And I can tell that God is in this because he gave me a victory. And if he gave me a victory, he can give you a victory. How many times... Have you been in a season of life where you just needed to hear somebody else say, I did it, you can do it. I did it. I know that God's in it. You can do it. I beat porn. You can do it. Right? I, I was able to figure out my finances and apply wisdom. You can do it. I felt alone, but I found fulfillment in the presence of the Lord, and I found community in a local church. You can do it. I, uh, you know, fill in the blank. I did it because I know that God was in it because he helped me do it. So now he can help you do it. The same God who delivered me. This same God is the same God who lives in you. So you can do this. And that's when something gets unleashed in the people. And the spirit of God is, is, brings encouragement to everybody. And they go out and do the impossible. See, deliverance brings encouragement. Ehud saw God's hand in his good fortune and it inspired confidence. You know what Ehud's name means? It means unity. Or powerful. Ehud was a man that God raised up so that he could unify the people. It comes from the, from the Hebrew echod, which means one. Unity. Powerful. And in fact, the Lord, that's one, of the, that's one of the most important verses in the Bible in the Old Testament. It says in Deuteronomy, that, uh, in the Shema, the Lord, our God, the Lord, he is one. The same united God who is united within himself worked through Ehud to unite, worked through a man whose name means unity to unite people to accomplish God's purpose. How many people could be united to accomplish God's purpose if you had the courage to step out and try something that you haven't done before, even if you're not sure if it'll work? There's only, but ultimately, ultimately, this is a story of deliverance, right? 
But ultimately, there's only one real and permanent deliverance. And it's at the cross of Jesus. See, he faced the king of Eglon alone. But, or he faced the king of Moab alone, Ehud did. But Jesus faced the prince of the air alone. He went in and said, <laughs> he went in and, and whenever he, when he faced his enemy, he used the word of God. Jesus was also tempted by the enemy and used the word of God as his, as his weapon against the enemy. See, Ehud and, and Ehud in his, in his moment, it was behind closed doors. From, out, from outside, you couldn't tell what was going on. You didn't know until later that he had actually accomplished a great victory. Most people, when they looked at Jesus hanging naked on a cross, 33 years old, single, broke, with a bunch of followers who claimed that he did a bunch of miracles, he looked like an absolute loser. He looked like he was a complete failure. It was subtle. It was behind closed doors. But in that moment, at the cross of Jesus, what Jesus was doing is he was accomplishing something for you and me that we could never have, and that is victory. Amen. Christos victor is what we're talking about. We're talking about the triumph of Christ. See, this was the great brilliance of the cross. We often talk about the love of Jesus at the cross, but we forget about the cunning of Jesus at the cross. Because just like Ehud snuck into that, tent, or snuck into that upper chamber and he said, Hey, uh, why don't you tell your, or I have a message from God for you. And then he caused, and causing the servants to leave there by allowing him to go in and accomplish what he needed to. So Jesus offered himself up as a sacrifice. And then it says in John 19 that as he hung on that cross, he said, it is finished. And just like Ehud thrust that sword into King Eglon's belly, Jesus delivered the death blow to Satan and all of his minions so that you and I could be set free forever from the power of sin, from the power of death, so that he could no longer have a hold over your life. Jesus came to set you free. Jesus came to be your ultimate deliverance. And it's a permanent deliverance because one day you'll see it and you're going to look back. Even in this life, you're going to look back and go, look at how much God has done and how much he's delivered me from. And then when you get to heaven, you're going to be like, he delivered me from everything. I couldn't even see it not then, but I see it now. Jesus is my deliverer. Come on, somebody shout amen. If you believe that Jesus is the deliverer, he has the power to break every chain in your life and in mine. So, tonight, uh, we are small enough to where we could probably just do one regroup. So let's talk about this question. Um, first of all, um, what in this chapter was confusing? Not just, the, not, just the, uh, uh, not just this story, but the entire chapter. Secondly, where do you see the gospel in this chapter? And then thirdly, um, this, is the, this is the question I want to focus on. What does deliverance mean for you in your life? What does deliverance mean for you in your life? See, this is, this is the thing. Like, You may not, not understand why God's bringing certain things into your life until later. We can look at this now and go, oh yeah, God delivered them over to the Moabites so that they would cry out to him, right? So that he could raise up Ehud and, and so that he could lead these people into a new level of freedom. But they didn't know that at the time. Oh man, I wish that we knew, you know. <laughs> I wish that we knew during those seasons of difficulty. Man, I know that this is what God is trying to accomplish in me. But it takes faith and it takes maturity to get to a point in your life where you're able to actually see that way. So be patient. Uh, and because you need to run with endurance the race that is marked out for you. Casting aside the sin, uh, everything that slows you down and the sin that so easily entangles. Hebrews 12. 
You need to keep your eyes fixed on Jesus, the author and perfecter of your faith, who for the joy set before him, that's you, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the Father. He did it for you. Jesus is the only one who can truly deliver you. No program can deliver you. No, no next, no, no step-by-step um, process is going to deliver you. No you managing your problems. No new year, new me. Right? <laughs> no, I'm going to wipe out my old contacts. I'm going to start over. Start fresh. That will save me. No, it won't. They'll come back. They'll find a way to get a hold of you. Right? It's about, you can't start over by yourself, but the Spirit of God can set you free from the mindset that has kept you bound, maybe for 18 years, like this guy, or like this guy did to Israel. God can set you free from that by the power and the blood of Jesus. Amen. So let's talk about that. What does deliverance look like for you in your life? Um, why don't we just kind of all gather like down here? I think there's a few, a few enough of us where we could do that. And then uh, we'll talk. Let's do it. Thanks for listening to this week's sermon from the Regenerate Podcast. And if you enjoyed our content, please feel free to subscribe. If you have any questions or would like to send us feedback, send us an email at regeneratelcsc at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. Regenerate, changing the world for Jesus, one person at a time.